Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rurkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And for today's episode, we'll be celebrating the 20th anniversary of the hours we are bringing to a close cancer season in <laughs> the most cancery of ways. I feel like we've covered quite a few emotional movies this month, and this is no exception. This was quite a ride since this was my first watch. I am so excited to hear how the first watch went. (laughs) It is such an emotional, dramatic film. And speaking of cancer season, we'll get to talk about one of my favorite cancers, one of your favorite cancers, Meryl Streep, and her performance in this movie, which I really love. You know, this movie is so, it's just, it's a rich text from 2002. It is ahead of its time in a way in the story that it's telling about these three women and how their lives are intertwined, but it also feels very much of a piece with other dramas that were coming out in the aughts and specifically films that were really big at the Oscars. And I know this film has a ton of fans. Um, I knew that before we posted about it on Twitter, but I definitely noticed it after, I think, seeing all of the excitement mm-hmm. around the fact that we were doing this episode and people sharing their opinions about category fraud and which performance they liked best. So yeah, I'm excited to dig into it. There is a lot to discuss for sure. Yeah, I did not expect that response we had to it on Twitter. I was like, okay, here we go. So today we'll go over the film itself, talk about performances, what we thought of it, and then go through award season, what happened there. Throughout the different ceremonies, the three main actresses were placed differently. So I'm interested to hear what you think about that. And we can try to figure out why they were all different and what happened, you know, why that happened. And then from there, we'll go over some Twitter questions at the very end. So let's get right into it. So the hours, for those that don't know, description, it's the story of three women searching for more potent, meaningful lives. Each is alive at a different time and place and all are linked by their yearnings and their fears. Their stories intertwine and finally come together in a surprising, transcendent moment of shared recognition. This is directed by Stephen Daldry and based on the book by Michael Cunningham. It's obviously also based on the book by Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf herself. And this stars Nicole Kidman, Meryl Streep, Julianne Moore, Ed Harris, Tony Collette, and more. It received nine Oscar nominations and won one. Nicole Kidman won for Best Actress. And the other nominations were Picture, Director for Daldry, Supporting Actor for Harris, Supporting Actress for Moore, Adapted Screenplay, Film Editing, Original Score, and Costume Design. So I'll say how I felt about it in a second. This very soapy, melodramatic, intensely edited drama, but... What do you think about it? How many times have you seen it? What's your relationship with these actresses, these performances? You mentioned on last episode, you were going to talk about the book. Was that Mrs. Dalloway or was this the novel, this The Hours? Yeah, so both actually. So I've taught uh, Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf and this movie, The Hours, to go along with it. High school students today actually love The Hours and I think it (laughs) helps them in their understanding of who Virginia Woolf is in British literature and what type of author she was to the culture and why her legacy is so strong. 
But I also have read The Hours, the Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Michael Cunningham. And I think the interesting thing about the novel is that it's a phenomenal book, but it's one that a lot of people said would be impossible to adapt to a film. And I think Mm -hmm. that this movie is the greatest adaptation that we have of not only Mrs. Dalloway and of Virginia Woolf's life, but it's one of the best adaptations we have actually of a book. And I think that's because I know you mentioned the editing. It's a very particular type of editing, but I do think that here Stephen Daldry and David Hare actually weave these three storylines together so well. I have seen this movie quite a few times, but It's not one that I return to often because it's profoundly depressing and very sad and it does take a lot out of you, I think, when you're watching it. But I think an important thing to note about Virginia Woolf is that she is one of literature's great observers. She has always been, I think, an author and a woman who has always observed what is going on around her in society and... I'm just going to go off on my English teacher rant for a minute. (laughs) Um, I mean, she's one of the greats. She's often compared to James Joyce. But also, the storyline here we'll get to with Virginia Woolf, who Nicole Kidman plays beautifully. Um, She actually releases in 1929 a text called A Room of One's Own, which is essential, maybe the most essential feminist text about how important it is to for women to have a room of one's own. And... Yes, this this movie definitely taps into Mrs. Dalloway and uses Mrs. Dalloway as a key text, but it also uses A Room of One's Own as a really key point here. So I love the way that it incorporates Virginia Woolf's words and also just the meaning behind Virginia Woolf as an author. And it is, I think, a much more intellectual film than some of the other films we got that year or even just throughout Oscar history but I think that also goes to show the type of writer that Virginia Woolf was and um, Michael Cunningham too she often used stream of consciousness so I love the way here that the words flow in and out between the characters it's very beautiful another way that this movie uses Mrs. Dalloway that's really important is that the working title for Mrs. Dalloway actually was The Hours And it took place in that singular day. And I love how this movie not only incorporates that with the title, you know, as this homage to it, but also brings that into the dialogue, into Nicole's voiceover in particular. So just another fun thing. Performances are great. I will save my opinions about them until we get into those things, because I just rambled for a while on my love for Virginia Woolf and why this movie is important. But what did you think of it since it was your first time? So I had put this movie off for a long time, obviously. I always wanted to be in the right mood. And from the poster alone, I don't think I had ever seen the trailer. It seemed like this moody piece that I really needed to focus on for two hours. And I always kept putting it off. I was like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. can't focus. And <laughs> I was right. <laughs> the mood it puts you in from what's happening from what the actors are saying from how they're acting is so strong and it was kind of surprising I don't know I don't really feel that way during many movies and in a way I was really moved by it by all of those things because it came across very well it has quite a point of view and 
I loved watching everything unfold. I think it felt a little confused at times of being like really soapy or being too serious. And that comes down to some of the elements at play. But overall, I did really like it. That's better than I... I wasn't sure, I think, how you would maybe feel about having these three interwoven, interconnected storylines in different time periods, right? Like Virginia Mm -hmm. Woolf, we're in 1923. Laura Brown, we're in 1951. Clarissa Vaughn, we're in 2001. So it does bounce back, Mm -hmm. I think, pretty seamlessly. But for a first watch, it does, I think, take a minute to sort of adjust to what these women are going through and the ways that they're expressing it. Because these characters, while there are similarities to what they're experiencing, I think each character, each point of view, there are perspectives on feminism, on motherhood that are very different, but also show a universality to um, what it's like to be a woman in any of these time periods. It is challenging. And I think when you're thinking about, too, the dialogue you called it soapy and it does feel so heightened and dramatic Mm -hmm. every time i watch this movie and i always tell people this i always think it feels more like a play than a film Mm -hmm. and i think it's cinematic and it it uses so many beautiful elements of film to make it soar make it successful but the dialogue itself feels like you're watching a play That's just the best way I could describe it. Like, it feels Mm -hmm. so intense, which is why, I mean, we'll get to this when we get to our Twitter questions, but I think a lot of people have said throughout the years, like, why isn't this a play? Why hasn't this become a stage show? Because it does feel like one. It feels like one that would naturally work. I also thought a lot of Almodovar when I watched it this time, like, talk to her and all about my mother films about women that are very dramatic, very theatrical, and could be stage plays. But yeah, so I definitely hear you on that, for sure. Well, I think this movie succeeds because the cinematography, the editing, in navigating the time periods, I think there's some intercutting in the individual sections that I had trouble with, but those things really work in Mm -hmm. making this fairly easy on a first watch. Yeah. Like, the tones, the seasons of the time periods help distinguish one another. And that wasn't as big of an issue as maybe I thought. But yes, starting out, I didn't groan, you know, having these three different time periods. I was like, I wrote down the dates because I was like, "Uh oh, this is important. Mm -hmm. But the period of it was okay. I loved the costumes from the 50s, from Julianne specifically. Mm -hmm. And... I thought the way that the story was framed, starting with Wolf's suicide, was interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that worked. And then going through and kind of putting the pieces together of, okay, it was Wolf. And now we have Julianne Moore as Laura reading the book. And then Meryl as Clarissa, who is apparently Mrs. Dalloway, like living this mm-hmm. life. And again, everything is happening in the single day. And what I really liked are how these actresses showed how they dealt with depression and how all of their stories collided in this feeling that plagued their lives and they kind of came to a head with on this day um so again watching this in a specific mood probably was for the best but (laughs) it's a little rough (laughs) so you mentioned the costumes i love the costumes in this movie legendary and roth 
who's 90 years old. Mm-hmm. She just won for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But she has worked with Meryl and Nicole a lot over their careers. So in tons of films. Like she did Rabbit Hole. She did Julie and Julia. But then she also, she won for The English Patient. So she has had just a magnificent career. And I think that one thing that I love about the costumes is that you know, to work in three distinct time periods, but to make an entire mm-hmm. collection look somewhat cohesive is very impressive. And I don't know how she pulled that off. I love the muted tones and the neutrals in the movie. I think the costumes are beautiful. I think it'll be helpful if we just break down the three storylines that we have. We can just do this briefly. So the first one is Virginia Wolf. She's played by Nicole Kidman. You mentioned this movie starts with her suicide before we get this flashback and before we go to the other characters. What was your relationship like to Virginia Woolf before this? Had you read any of her novels? Were you familiar with her death by suicide being that she put stones in her pockets and went out into the river? Like, was this anything that you knew beforehand? I know you're not an English teacher, but I know you had to take Brit Lit, I'm sure, at some point. (laughs) (laughs) My first like advanced English class was in 10th grade and it was sort of British literature. Uh-huh. But I have zero relationship with Virginia Woolf. Okay. So no, nothing. you hadn't and read I, Mrs. Dalloway or no, you didn't know anything no, about her No, nothing. Life. And Okay. You know, thinking back now I'm shocked. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did not know about the rocks. I felt that edit from her putting one stone in her pocket to her body back up floating towards the bottom of the river was horrifying to see and then title card to the hours I was like okay here we go but I thought that the process of showing Nicole Kidman writing as Virginia and you could really see her struggling with some sort of mental illness and the people around her also managing that care there's also the queerness of all this which Mm -hmm. we should do separately afterwards so You can finish Virginia and then get to Laura, yeah. Okay, yeah, I was wondering how you wanted to talk about the queerness in the movie because one thing that they don't touch on that they could make more explicit for sure in the movie is that Virginia Woolf, she's part of this group called the Bloomsbury Group, which was a group that was founded of all these like English writers, philosophers, intellectuals, and they were very, very progressive sexually. Most of their members were were either were queer, bisexual, so Virginia Woolf we know her as a bisexual woman. So they do sort of hint to that in the movie with mm-hmm. her character. But um, yeah, that's definitely, I think, an important part of her life and something to know. Yeah, and I think that's something that is symbolized more. Like her at the very end trying to run away back to the city, but then mm-hmm. having the husband say, that's the reason we came here is because you couldn't stand London. You know, she's always... Yeah moving she's always trying to find the next place or this other feeling Mm -hmm. and that's something that I can connect to for sure yeah it's I think that's very real and part of what makes like her storyline in the movie really heartbreaking Virginia Woolf she's started to write Mrs. Dalloway so this book that Laura ends up reading and Clarissa is of course a reference to um, sort of like a Mrs. Dalloway character she is currently in Richmond in England. So she's outside of London and she's really struggling with her mental health, uh, much like the real Virginia Woolf did. I do think that this movie and the novel, um, they both do a really good job actually of 
you know, talking about Virginia Woolf and giving an accurate portrayal of her from what we know historically, while not making it into a paint-by-numbers cradle-to-grave biopic, which I really appreciate because we get Mm -hmm. so many of those movies. Um, But of course, like, I think the key thing here in Virginia's storyline is that her sister, Vanessa, who was actually also another creative type, she's a painter, um, she goes to visit and she has all these children. So again, motherhood comes into play and they talk about how Virginia's feeling. Um, They talk about Vanessa's life in London and... Basically, Virginia wants to go back to London. She wants a a similar life to her sister, Vanessa. And I think a really sad moment in this section is when Virginia, of course, sees this dead bird. And, like, she sees herself. That's how, Hmm. you know, she sees her own experience, which, ugh. That's just, it's really, really hard Mm -hmm. to watch. It's actually not my favorite section, surprisingly, of the movie. Um, But I do think it's really successful. And I do think a big part of that is Nicole Kidman's performance. I think she's Mm -hmm. really good in this movie. So the kiss between them is like her expressing her feeling locked up inside and trying to have her sister see that. That was a point of confusion at first, but is kind of unwinding now. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to it. You can take it a number of different ways. I think while she's not like with her sister, it is a hint at her sexuality, um, at her interest in women in that way. I think it also it shows how much she wants what her sister has. That's like the one moment in the Virginia section where we can see her sort of passionate about anything. She doesn't just like give her a kiss on the cheek, right? Like she mm-hmm. actually well, like yeah. <laughs> she really kisses her. And I think it just yeah, it shows her desperation. It shows how much she wants her sister to stay, how much she wants to go. I think knowing too that Vanessa is a fellow creative type, but that she somehow became a mother, even though Virginia is not a mother. Um, There's that layer to it, but she's living in London where Virginia wants to live. So she is sort of Mm -hmm. able to have these things that Virginia can't have. Not that Virginia wants all of them, but she still, I think there's that layer there that she has to be somewhat stifled creatively because in Virginia's mind, and she's right about this, like all women at the time existed in the eyes of their husbands to serve their family and to fulfill the household. So even in London, that's what she's doing. So that's not necessarily connected to this kiss. I'm like going off on a million tangents of how she feels about her sister. But um, Mm -hmm. I do think that that's interesting when you compare the experiences that they have. And it, of course, like leads to this great scene that we have at the train station, which I think is Nicole Kidman's best work in the movie, that scene. She feels that she has the right to decide where she belongs, where she lives, where she goes. And even if she ends up dying, she would rather go to London than stay mm-hmm. like under her husband's protection, under his wishes in Richmond, where she feels so, so trapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely the biggest moment for her in the movie and seeing her in this lighter colored sweater surrounded by everybody at the train station with these black suits also sets her apart. But whether it's this big moment or the smaller ones where she's in a chair thinking, writing, 
I wouldn't necessarily say she wins the Oscar only for this scene, which mm-hmm. is sometimes what we get. No, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's like there's a lot to it and we'll definitely get to that. But like if I had to pick an Oscar scene for her, it would be the monologue at the train station. Mm-hmm. So back to the kiss just for a second. We get a different female to female kiss in each of these sections. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting to compare and contrast as well. We can go into the second section with Laura Brown. And this is Julianne Moore's section from 1951. She is a, when you think of the 50s in film, mm-hmm. a stereotypical housewife. She's home. She's making breakfast for her son and her husband, played by John C. Riley. She's, I believe, four months pregnant with another child that we see later on when she's in this hotel room. But her plan for the day, once the husband leaves, is to bake this cake for his birthday. And so she enlists the help of the son to make this cake. And she's the one reading Mrs. Dalloway. And she leaves for a second to do this. And she gets this idea in her head to leave like she's done. She's inspired by this book so much so. So she leaves for the hotel. She leaves the son at a neighbor's. Played by the lovely Margot Martindale. Tons of great character actors in this movie. Just like the people that keep popping up. You're like, oh my God. Every With every person. I was like, Tony Collette. Claire Danes. Like there's so yes. many people. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the hotel. She can't go through with it. She comes back and they end their day. There is a twist coming that I won't say yet if people are worried yeah. about spoilers. I'm glad this wasn't spoiled for me. I had no idea. So this is your warning. But also, yes, during this day, a neighbor comes to the house that expresses that she's undergoing this exploratory surgery. And this also really affects Laura. And I literally gasped on. (laughs) Did you watch this on the train? Is that what you're about to say? (laughs) On the train, yes. When I saw Toni Collette's face, because I had no idea she was in this. So that was like a total shock. So excited. (laughs) (laughs) Giving me, I forget her character's name, but one of the alter egos from United States of Terra. Oh, yes. Wow. That's true. (laughs) And just to say this off the bat, I think my favorite edit from this movie was going from one of Meryl's sections. She goes, why is everything wrong? And she looks out the window and it cuts to this awful first cake that (laughs) Laura makes. Yes. That was great. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Kitty character, Tony Collette, is so interesting, not just because we get this kiss between Laura and Kitty, uh, but because she really wants to be a mother. And you get this feeling that Laura is actually sort of dissatisfied with being a mother. Like, it's just, it's not for her. It's almost like no one asked her. So this section is interesting because it's immediately post-World War II. And Virginia Woolf, she writes Mrs. Dalloway and A Room of One's Own, ruminating on World War One. So these two sections are both post-war, which I think is really, really interesting. But this section in particular, all about this American dream. And her husband, played by John C. Riley, like you said, he just, he doesn't really seem to notice her. He dotes on her, yes, but he doesn't really seem to care about how she feels or be listening to or observing how she feels. Julianne Moore actually doesn't have as much 
dialogue, I think, as the other two characters. It's mostly wordless acting, like through her emotions, which Mm -hmm. I think she's quite good at. At one point in the film, Dan, her husband, he says that thinking of this sort of American dream, domestic bliss, was what kept him going during the war. But for Laura, like, that's not what kept her going. That's not what keeps her going. Like, he doesn't even Mm -hmm. think about what keeps her going. And it's certainly not this. She's super unhappy. But to get back to Kitty for a minute, she has this heartbreaking line when she says, I don't think you can call yourself a woman until you're a mother. I wrote that down, too. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Yeah. And as you mentioned, these other things happening as well, it's so apparent that she's unhappy she's so excited she's like oh we're gonna make this cake and it's gonna solve all of our problems and the son is excited and he wants to help and she finishes the cake and she's no happier she starts like kind of getting annoyed with the son she goes to read she leaves him alone and then later in her story before they go to bed she's in the bathroom and dan is in bed and he's like oh are you coming to bed And she's just crying on the toilet and she's trying to respond as normally as she can. But the way he keeps insisting, like, okay, come on, come to bed. It's like, leave her alone already. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, she doesn't want to come right now. Stop it. So there is a total disconnect between them the entire time. And when she explains this later on of her leaving, I mean, it totally makes sense. And it comes back to this moment with Kitty that really sparks all of that Mm -hmm. that she's not made for this life this kiss that she gives her that is the only passionate moment that she has in her scenes apart from laying on this hotel bed ready to die like that's it and that's really sad again this is the 50s it's something she keeps to herself and i don't think we learn even later on if she was married again or anything but yeah, there's definitely this this underlying sadness and depression that pervades her entire life. And the way that it connects with what we've seen from Virginia's story, again, is heartbreaking to see, but well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, two characters who have differing relationships to motherhood, but who still feel very pressured by specific societal demands. Um, on women again that the thread of universality between these three stories that this is a common experience and it makes it even more sad to me that the only time they feel any sort of passion or any sort of I wouldn't even go as far as calling it joy is when they have like a moment of realization or a moment of love with another woman like the men in the movie just bring them nothing but like fear and depression and just dread again it's another it's a story of repression and queerness for sure pride month continues here on oscar wilde (laughs) (laughs) um last question about the laura brown thing that i have for you what did you think of the edit and the shots when laura has the dream on the bed in the hotel and she's like drowning with the water it's like a surrealist Mm-hmm. look to it what did you think of that did you like that yeah I liked that I have other shots that were definitely worse in this section <laughs> but I thought that was a great metaphor for mm-hmm. what she's feeling inside 
And the way that she wakes up afterwards, after we hear Virginia saying, oh, this isn't the character that I have to kill that Mm -hmm. has to die. Yeah. The other ones I found funny in this section. Well, first off, when Kitty is saying anyone can make a cake, it's ridiculously easy. (laughs) And obviously, (laughs) obviously it's not. The housewife cannot. The one I thought was way too serious was when she's driving to the hotel and the sun is building the log cabin Mm -hmm. and it is like very intense. And I didn't really feel that coming across. It's dramatic. Like it's again, 2002. Like this is just very, (laughs) very 2002. Very early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Are we ready to talk about Meryl? I think so. This no pun intended, takes the cake. Mm-hmm. So in our third section, which is present day 2001, we have Meryl Streep playing a character named Clarissa Vaughn. It's important to note that Clarissa is also the protagonist in Mrs. Dalloway. So Clarissa here, she works in New York. And when her section starts, I think if you are familiar with the book you know right away what you're getting. You're like, oh, this is this is clever. Because Mrs. Dalloway, the novel opens with Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. And that's how Meryl starts her section. I'm going to keep calling her Meryl, even though I should be calling her by her character name, Clarissa. So <laughs> she, much like Mrs. Dalloway in the story, she's spending the day, she's hoping to host this party for her friend, who is this poet, he's this author, he's winning a literary award. They used to be together at one point um, when they were in college, but now Clarissa is with a woman named Sally, played by Allison Janney. Did you scream when you saw that they were together? <laughs> I screamed because I wanted your reaction. <laughs> But I was also very confused. I was like, what is happening? And Claire Danes is their daughter. And Jeff Daniels and Ed Harris are exes. I was like, what is happening in the storyline? Mm-hmm. And Meryl Clarissa is this yuppie West Sider. Mm-hmm. She looks so much like my Aunt Julie. It's like, <laughs> whenever I watch it, I'm like, oh my God, I know this woman. <laughs> but she mostly cares for Richard, her friend, because... Um, He has AIDS. So he also ends up telling Clarissa at one point that like, he doesn't care about the awards and he only really is alive because of her. She's really the only reason he's staying alive. And he refers to her, he calls her Mrs. Dalloway. So we get, again, the reference to the book. And mm-hmm. he does this because... He sees her living her life in a similar way to Mrs. Dalloway. Not only is she spending her day in the exact same way that Mrs. Dalloway does in the novel, she distracts herself with other people's problems and by caring for other Mm -hmm. people instead of like looking inward at her own feelings and her own relationships. So of the three storylines, which one did you gravitate towards most? Because for me, it is actually this one, which I know is a very unpopular answer. I feel like most people really like the Virginia Woolf section the most, and I actually like the present day section. Even though I don't love Ed Harris's performance, I do feel like I'm very drawn to what's happening with the Clarissa character. I feel the exact same way. 
and maybe it's New York City, but I was mm-hmm. like immediately drawn to how Meryl acted and the way she presented herself, the apartment, the decor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ed's performance. It's just not my favorite. It just doesn't feel as strong as the women. I don't think it's developed enough. I, yeah. I think, you know, we're supposed to see him and we kind of just assume that he's dying from AIDS, which in and of itself isn't enough of character development to propel his storyline. And I think in that moment, I was a little bored because I knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Not the whole, you're the only reason I'm alive thing and him jumping out the window, but all of that gives the same feel for just seeing this apartment even where mm-hmm. he lives. You know, he has paper up on his window so that there's no light. It's um, very Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. That's what I always think of with the <laughs> elevator. <laughs> and then later on when Clarissa does come back and he's going through this breakdown, he says he took like two pills together and he's just throwing stuff around the apartment. So it's a little chaotic. I think it could have been a little bit more refined. But Mm -hmm. yes, I love this the most. I think what Meryl does with her face, again, like you mentioned about the other two actors, but also how she reacts and acts like she does it all. Mm -hmm. I just love her so much. And the fact that she was the only person not nominated, basically, for this movie is we'll get there as well. Um, But my favorite scene from her is in the kitchen when she's talking to Lewis, played by Jeff Daniels, mm-hmm. this ex-boyfriend who is also now famous and moved to San Francisco and has another life. But she's overwhelmed by everything happening, by having been with Richard, by taking care of him, and now seeing his ex-lover and hearing about his life, and she just explodes. She lets it all out in front of him. Mm-hmm. And the way she does that, there's still this control in there that Meryl is so, so good at. And seeing her break down and say, no, don't touch me. I don't want that. And comforting her, it's. I think it's really well done. I agree. That's a wonderful Meryl scene. I also love her at the end of this movie. I think let's briefly just touch on the end and my connections. You already gave a spoiler warning, but the way that this connects is that Richard Ed Harris... It's revealed that he is actually the little boy from the 1951 section. So he's Laura Brown's son, who we see screaming when she's driving away in the car on the way to the hotel. So after Richard's suicide, Julianne Moore, as an aged, (laughs) as an older Laura with her aging makeup on, she returns. She flies in to New York. She arrives in New York and shows up at... Clarissa's home and that is how our storylines intersect again showing the connections between these three storylines but also again this power of connection and I think the ending is really powerful it's easy I think to you know it would be easy to like laugh at Julianne's aging makeup or something like that but it is like very profound like to see how mental illness affected them to see this woman who you got to know in this earlier section come back when now she's going to have to deal with more pain than she even had Mm -hmm. in like the earlier section about her life when she was younger and she just explains like how she leaves her family and 
Um, she reveals that she's read like all of his poems and his book even. And I love Clarissa's face in this part, like how she looks kind of surprised. Like, oh, you, you read that because you know how he chose to portray his mom. But again, you get the cut to Virginia's death by suicide and you get her voiceover saying, always the years between us, always the years, always the love, always the hours. And you get that nice little perfect end to the movie. Mm-hmm. Going back to Laura when she's in Clarissa's apartment, I think this is a, I think this is kind of a rudimentary beginning to Olivia Coleman's performance and character in The Lost Daughter. Mm, spoiler alert, I might bring her up later. <laughs> <laughs> the scene between her and Claire Danes and her as a daughter, you know, someone who's grown up now that she's older and probably how old her daughter would be or close enough at least I think was really powerful because she ends up hugging Laura Mm -hmm. and she kind of has this realization not that things change in her mind at all but I think it is just a better understanding because when you see Laura and Clarissa talking about motherhood and her running away because she needed to be free I think Olivia's performance is a great continuation of that because she explains more of that freedom and how it liberated her. That would be a good double feature with this. I mean, it would be mm-hmm. depressing as all get out, but the lost <laughs> daughter in the hours. <laughs> and we get our final kiss here. Once Clarissa has talked to Laura, she goes back to Sally in her room on their bed and gives her again, the more passionate kiss with understanding where she's been, what happened in this day and probably the most hopeful ending that we get between these three storylines of Mm -hmm. being able to see the future and or at least know how to change to make this life worth living yeah I do think it even though it does like cut back to Virginia Woolf and her suicide I think I think the ending with Clarissa's character does show you that while these problems have persisted right throughout decades for these women it does get easier and it can get better than it's been before. So I do like Mm -hmm. that as a little hopeful note, Um, but also as an ode to Virginia Woolf in that she was right. Like everything she said about the ways that women are stifled and how they feel, they need a room of one's own to be creative, to Mm -hmm. grow, to live their best, most fulfilling lives. So I think this is, like a great ode to her as a writer and to her contributions to literature and feminist thought and theory. And speaking of Virginia Woolf, let's talk about Nicole Kidman and her Best Actress win. She gives us a transformation. This is a very unglamorous look for her. I think we have to talk about the prosthetic nose that she wears because she really does, I think, with the help of that nose, disappear into this role as someone who saw Nicole Kidman throughout being the Ricardos I watch Virginia Woolf in this movie and I do not see Nicole Kidman easily I mean I know it's her so it's hard to not see her but Mm -hmm. I do think she disappears into the role in a way that she doesn't necessarily do in her in her other films because she's such a megastar now I kind of expected more of an accent Mm -hmm. than we got from her I think she does a good job and the nose I know everyone speaks about because that's the most noticeable part, but I didn't find it distracting. 
like we mm-hmm. have, I feel like, in recent years with other prosthetic work. Yeah. So I liked that. And again, I didn't really have a history with her. I know I've seen photos of her before, but mm-hmm. I think Kidman was the right actress for this role. Do you think she gives the best performance in the movie? I think it's safe to say that all three, Meryl Streep, Julianne Moore, and Nicole Kidman, are all very good in this movie. I don't think Mm -hmm. we can dispute that necessarily, but is Nicole your favorite? There's so much going into this question, too. Now that we're going to talk about the awards part of it and Mm -hmm. where people are placed and the history of who has an Oscar at this point, who doesn't, I think my simple answer is no, it's Meryl. What about you? I'm with you. I love Meryl (laughs) Streep in this movie. I think she actually gives my favorite non-nominated Meryl performance. Mm -hmm. I think she's just amazing in this movie. It's like every everything she does is incredibly believable, and you just you know this woman right away. And in a lot of ways, I think she has some of the hardest work to do mm-hmm. because she is playing this this real woman with very very complicated scenes. I don't know mm-hmm. her her emotions are so tricky to navigate and I feel like she modulates very well. I love Meryl in this movie. I mean I love Meryl in general, but this is like peak Meryl for me. And I think also going into this is their performance time or what mm-hmm. I feel like their presence has in the film and I think Meryl has the most time to develop her character and it's more thorough than the others yeah I think with Nicole she's kind of cornered into being this singular woman who's stuck and it comes across she does a great job but Mm -hmm. there's less room to move than with Meryl but I think Nicole would be second for me that's my order too I would go Meryl Nicole Julianne So do you think there are any snubs from this movie or for wins? Nominations-wise, I feel like it's pretty strong, except for Meryl. Like, Meryl should absolutely be nominated for this movie. I think it's just hard because she almost made it. She was nominated at the Globes and at the BAFTAs, but she was also in lead alongside Nicole Kidman. So I think it was just hard for both of them to break in. And she was also nominated that year already in supporting for adaptation. So to get a double in the same year is very hard. Julianne Moore did mm-hmm. it, yes. <laughs> but um, I think that sort of stopped her. But I would absolutely make room for Meryl. And we have a question about that coming later, about who we think would get bumped out. But yeah, I love Meryl. And I think that, yes, she has so many nominations throughout her career, like 21. But it should be 22. Yeah, Julianne getting the double, I feel like she was somewhat typecast. Like, Uh there's a reason I also never saw Far From Heaven, and that's because it seemed very similar to what this was given. It's my favorite Mm -hmm. movie from 2002. It's really good. Yeah, I love it. Oh my God. Okay. We should talk about it at some point, but it's just like it's Todd Haynes doing Douglas Sirk. It's great. Yeah, I love it. The look of the poster, I can see why you would think that mm-hmm. and would compare them. And I guess with snubs, definitely Meryl. I would maybe give cinematography one as well mm-hmm. for what I mentioned earlier. I also, with snubs for wins, I would give this wins in adapted screenplay and original score. 
I love the score. I still listen to it semi-regularly, especially for writing or studying. Like, I highly recommend listening to the hour score. I don't see why the pianist should win an adapted screenplay over the hours. I think this is a phenomenal adaptation. Yeah, with all the quotes I have written down from watching, and then also at the very end, you mentioned her last line. She had a few more before that. Like, what does it mean to regret when you have no choice? I kept rewinding just to listen to that. And then once you hear her and see the hours, I just like sat there. And the Mm -hmm. score was so good during the credits. Oh, yeah. The final track is (laughs) the best. Just wow. I haven't seen Frida in a long time. So I don't know how that score is, but I definitely really loved the hours and wish I had seen it so I could have listened to it when I was studying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm surprised I never recommended it to you. (laughs) You were probably scared. (laughs) Probably. I knew all along. But yeah, let's talk about how Nicole won. So I think it's important to think about like her career up to that point. She is divorced from Tom Cruise. So she's no longer with him. We can put her marriage to Tom Cruise behind us. Everything with the press and the paparazzi at that time, like push it to the back burner. She is, I think, certainly in the eyes of the press too and critics her own person, her own performer, they started to at that time. I mean, I know some people still associate her with Tom Cruise, but definitely they were starting to see her very much as her own person, uh, forging her own path. And a big part of that is because in 2001, she had two major hits um, at the box office. She had The Others, which is um, sort of a riff on Henry James's The Turn of the Screw, weird she's actually been in two henry james adaptations because she also did portrait of a lady with jane campion Hmm. anyway i digress the other movie from that year was moulin rouge the baz lerman smash hit where she got her first oscar nomination so coming off of those two hits she was sort of primed for oscar success yeah moulin rouge being not only baz's best but a great nomination Mm -hmm. a great best picture nominee definitely something that helped her because at that point Meryl had already won twice Julianne hadn't but would come almost 10 years later for another performance that would be the only win for that movie as well Mm -hmm. and I would also just like to say I definitely do not correlate Nicole Kidman with Tom Cruise you even saying this is like pop culture history (laughs) oh really (laughs) (laughs) the reason i said that is because if you're thinking of her pre-2001 even when she was making really good movies she was doing really interesting character work with great directors she was working with stanley kubrick she was working with gus van zandt jane campion like i mentioned people still associated her with tom cruise because he was this huge star at the time and she wasn't Mm -hmm. so when they got together it was very much like a pair and she mm-hmm. was she very much associated with him and everything that came along with that marriage and that relationship. And yeah, believe it or not, she had to break out of that, which is so crazy to think of now because I very much see mm-hmm. Nicole as like her own person, an actress who makes, for the most part, really great, unique choices in her career. But yeah, I mean, for a long time, 
she was very much associated with mm-hmm. Tom Cruise, which is just, it's, yeah, it's weird to think about. The eyes wide shut of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another rich text. <laughs> eyes wide shut. <laughs> Nicole does know how to end a movie with a good line. Speaking of eyes mm-hmm. wide shut and the hours. But yeah, so she, yeah, it was just like she had to break out of that. But then we have to talk about like the other man who's the elephant in the room, unfortunately, Harvey Weinstein, because if you're looking at best actress from that year, and I highly recommend um, Be Kind Rewind on YouTube. She has a great video about this year at the Oscars where she talks about this. But three of the five best actress nominees were from Miramax Films. So Nicole Kidman for The Hours, Renee Zellweger for Chicago, which we'll talk about later this year. Very excited to do that. And Selma Hayek for Frida. So all three of them were Miramax. And with that comes different campaigning priorities from Harvey Weinstein, unfortunately. And while Nicole seemingly was treated fine, Harvey wasn't very involved in the hours in their campaigning in the production. He put most of his resources early on into Gangs of New York. He was horrible to Selma Hayek. I'm not going to get into it too much here, but definitely read her New York Times op-ed where she talks about how he treated her, how he treated this movie, how he didn't take it seriously, how he had all sorts of egregious demands. But because of that, she was not going to win an Oscar with the limited resources coming from him for a campaign for her. Um, so it's good that she got nominated, but yeah, with every with the way that Harvey was treating her and how he viewed the movie, threatening for it to go straight to DVD, straight to video even, like she wasn't going mm-hmm. to win. And yeah. he also knew that Renee Zellweger had Cold Mountain the following year, where, mm. guess what? Spoiler alert, she wins. He decided <laughs> to instead campaign Nicole for the hours, build up all sorts of goodwill for her in lead, away from her co-stars, and it worked. So I'm not saying that Nicole won entirely because of Harvey Weinstein. I do think she gives a good performance and is deserving. It's not a bad win. You definitely do have Mm -hmm. to look at Miramax's role in Harvey Weinstein's role in all of that. Yeah, I think leading up to this point too, Nicole had a pretty clear path to win. Mm -hmm. Even from Berlin, all three won for Best Actress and then she won at the Golden Globes and she also won at BAFTA. So I think she was pretty well secured. But also going back to Salma, the op-ed is truly awful, Mm -hmm. like very well written and her perspective is just incredibly eye-opening. Will give you just the utmost respect for what she did talking about how she went to the Mexican government to get pieces by Frida's husband, Diego Rivera for the movie and to go places to do things that had never been done before or allowed by other crews is just incredible. And then to see that Weinstein didn't care or, you know, wasn't appreciating the movie because she didn't succumb to his, desires or Mm -hmm. his demands is she should have won for what she went through yeah truly and I think too if you're thinking about the other nominees we had Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven love that performance but she was never going to win and then Diane Lane from Unfaithful who was the lone nominee from her movie that wasn't going to happen either so I think 
considering the competition, considering category placement, who she was at the time, and campaign resources, it just feels like the perfect combination for Mm -hmm. Nicole to win Best Actress. Mm -hmm. Okay, so getting into some Twitter questions now. We'll start off with one from Scott Austin Brown. Is The Hours worth a watch and why? I definitely think it's worth a watch. It is, for all the reasons that we kind of highlighted, I think, during our discussion of the movie. Um, But first and foremost, I do think it's a really, really rich text on feminism, on an important historical figure, on attitudes in different post-war climates. And if you like movies, it also has incredible performances, a great score. And it is, I think, a challenging watch at times just due to the themes and the content, but definitely worth it. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoy this movie. It's complex in every good way. Mm -hmm. The story, the way it's framed, the technical elements, the completely A-list cast is one of the best cast movies Mm -hmm. I've seen in a long time, I think. And the topics that they're addressing, the way that it's done, the, the delicacy, but also power that it's done with, I think makes this maybe Daldry's best film. Mm-hmm. I think so. All right. Our next question is from Brian. What do you think of category placement, especially for Kidman and more? I've heard it compared to the favorite. So we got a lot of questions about category fraud and what we think of category placement. What do you think? Does it bother you? Where would you put them? I understand that Virginia Woolf is the main character of the story, but I don't think Kidman should be in lead. <laughs> like, don't kill me for saying that, but <laughs> like, that's, I think that's fair. I think it's right to put Julianne Moore in supporting. How were these women campaigned? Were they all for lead or was it split up? Because I wonder where Meryl was too especially since at Globe she got in lead. Mm -hmm. But I feel like everyone was kind of split up between different ceremonies. Yeah. My understanding is that they campaigned Meryl and Nicole in lead and Julianne Moore in supporting. So it's not a case necessarily of like Kate Winslet with the reader where they just switched her. Talking about another Stephen Daldry film. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's tricky. I sort of am of two minds. One is that I think that it's an ensemble film where you could theoretically say all three are lead and I would be fine with that. Mm -hmm. I'm more comfortable with that than saying all three are supporting because especially Meryl, like Meryl to me is lead. That would be absolutely Mm -hmm. egregious. Julianne Moore also has more screen time than Nicole Kidman, which is just bananas that they they swapped them. But I do think there is, for people who are saying... Nicole Kidman belongs in lead. She belongs in lead. I think a comparison that could be made, you could say, like, if you look at Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs, like, he doesn't have a lot of screen time, but his performance, his words, his aura of his character sort of Mm -hmm. hangs over the entire film. And I think Virginia Woolf definitely does that here um, as well. But, yeah... The the switch of Julianne and Nicole is just <laughs> too weird for me. Like I'm I don't get that mad about category fraud. I I get that it's just because of the studios, but it does feel wrong. 
But then we also have to think, like, if Nicole wasn't supporting, she wasn't beating Catherine Zeta-Jones. That was never going to happen exactly. for Chicago. So yeah. would Nicole not have an Oscar? She probably wouldn't. I mean, it's also surprising the SAG five for actress were the same here for the Oscars. So I think placement wise, things were very set, but yeah, if, if Nicole were there and supporting, we'll get to Chicago, but that's another film that had two nominees there. I will say with Chicago and the hours, I do love that we have two movies that are like very dominated by women and by their stories, like getting pushed Mm -hmm. into the Oscar conversation. I do know that they're Miramax and I acknowledge that and all the problems that come with it, but I do really enjoy both of the movies. So I'm happy that they're here. <laughs> so next question, this is somewhat adjacent to this conversation by Brian Rowe. If Meryl had been nominated for best actress, whose slot would she have taken? For me, I think she would have taken Diane Lane's spot. She is a great presence in that movie and she gives, I think a fantastic performance in the movie we will definitely need to talk about that movie at some point but being the lone nominee from your film automatically i think makes you more vulnerable um, Mm -hmm. than the others i feel like renee is pretty secure being in the best picture winner and julianne i think with the double that's a good narrative to have going for you too and far from heaven i think was stronger and renee had won the golden globe so yeah i don't think she's going anywhere i would have said the same thing for Diane Lane. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our next question. I love this question. It's from Owen Daly. Why hasn't this film been turned into a musical or play yet? I, for one, would <laughs> love to see an actress utter, I'm dying in this town, underscored by Philip Glass. I feel like I've said that to you, and maybe you haven't caught the reference because you haven't seen the movie. <laughs> That's okay. And then they said, since I've said this, what Broadway actors would you cast to play the leading trio? Do you have any ideas? I thought that maybe why people found this so difficult as an adaptation was because it maybe it would be so good as a play. So I'm surprised mm-hmm. that it isn't a musical. Oh God, too dark. I, I feel like it would oof. be a better play. I don't. I don't need music in this. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Patty Lapone is almost too pointed, like almost to a point of having humor behind her words and I don't see that in anybody here let me keep thinking but who do you have okay so I have a couple I think in the Virginia Woolf role I think Jennifer Ely would be very good she has two Tonys and she has sort of a similar look that I could see really working in the Laura Brown character I think Carrie Coon would crush it I think she would be amazing (laughs) as this like repressed 50s housewife Um, My other answer there, she hasn't had a Broadway role yet, but she did graduate from Yale Drama School. Um, Moses Ingram, she played Lady Macduff in the Cohen Macbeth last year. I feel like she would be really good in that part, and that would be a really good Broadway role for her. And in the Clarissa role, I think Leslie Manville would be great. I think she would be, like, perfect in that part. And she and Meryl sort of have similar energy, I think. Yeah, I could see her, like, living in the Upper West Side apartment. I mean, she's Mm -hmm. English, but she's played pretty heavy American roles before, like Mary Tyrone in Long Day's Journey and Tonight. So I think she could definitely do it, too. 
And again, not a Broadway actress, but someone who I think would be amazing in this. I would love to see Michelle Pfeiffer in the Virginia Woolf part. I think she could knock it out of the park. Oh, and my other one. I also think Olivia Coleman would be great on stage in the Clarissa part. And I think that's my favorite role. So that's like mostly what I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is my favorite Broadway play actress who I think could really play Clarissa well is Laurie Metcalf. Yeah. I mean, maybe too strong of a performance to compare it to, but I saw her in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, she would be amazing. Well, also, if you put Laurie Metcalf in that part and I put Leslie Manville in that part, opposite Allison Janney, we have our two, our personal winners from 2017 in supporting actress with the winner, Allison Janney. Uh, don't bring that back. I know. <laughs> okay, next question by Brian Sudfield. With Julianne Moore receiving nominations for both The Hours and Far From Heaven, which one would you have personally awarded her for? I would say Far From Heaven. It's my favorite Julianne Moore performance and film. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I really do need to watch this. Okay, our next question comes from Eric Anderson. If Meryl and Nicole had swapped roles, would either have still won an Oscar? I think if Nicole is in the Meryl role, she does not win because it's too contemporary and she doesn't have the transformation mm-hmm. narrative. But what about Meryl? And I think if Meryl is Virginia... I don't know. Looks kind of come into it at that point. And if she's heavily prosthetic. Which I don't think she would need to be. That's the other thing. That's tricky. Hmm. Meryl naturally has a better nose for Virginia than Nicole does. Just her nose shape. So I don't think she would. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would give her a prosthetic. But she's also doing so much less. Mm-hmm. I know. This is so hard. I would probably say no. Because then this would be her third win. Yeah. And I don't think that's happening. I think it would be close, but I think Renee would win for Chicago if Hmm. they chose to run Meryl in lead. Yeah, I think they I think the win happens because of Nicole being Virginia Woolf and not winning yet. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's interesting to think about. I think she would be good in the Virginia Woolf role, but I don't think Nicole would necessarily be good in the Meryl part. Which leads into my question. Awards aside... Are these actresses interchangeable, all three of them, with these roles? Ooh. Could you swap up the characters in a different way? I think you could, actually. The only one I really don't want is Meryl in the Julianne Moore role. (laughs) I think Nicole is best in the Virginia Woolf part or the Laura Brown part. Nicole Kidman's also much younger than Virginia Woolf was at the time. So Meryl Mm -hmm. might even be better for that part. But yeah, I think they each have one that I really wouldn't want them to do or that wouldn't be Mm -hmm. right, but they're fairly interchangeable. But I do think they got it right. Yeah, because now I'm thinking, well, if Julianne is in the Virginia part, then that means Meryl is in the Julianne part. (laughs) Yeah. Which is really off. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think Meryl can only play the part that she got, Clarissa or Virginia Woolf. Mm -hmm. Julianne. I think really can only play her part. Virginia Woolf might be a stretch. I don't know if I can see it. She could do it, but I don't know if I would like it as much. And Nicole could either do Virginia Woolf or I think she would be a good Laura Brown. Mm -hmm. It's weird. I think the right casting decisions were made. (laughs) 
Okay, and last Twitter question from Jeffrey Care. Do you prefer Meryl's performance in The Hours or her Oscar-nominated turn in Adaptation? I love her in The Hours, as I've mentioned, but I actually would pick her performance in Adaptation. I love when Meryl does comedy or performances with comedy bits in them. And I think she's really good in Adaptation and has some amazing scenes, but both are great. So I guess this is the year that I've avoided a lot of movies. <laughs> Looking back through award season articles, I was like, I haven't seen Adaptation. I haven't seen About Schmidt. <laughs> Skip About Schmidt. Watch Adaptation. I've actually started Adaptation. I don't know if that's worse. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but I'm still sticking by my guns and saying that Meryl should have been nominated here for the hours. At least I can say that. Yeah. Okay, and then just to wrap up, how do you think today's Academy would receive this movie? I think it would do fairly well. I think even looking back, I'm kind of surprised that it was a Best Picture nominee and that it had so many nominations, but also shocked that it only won one mm-hmm. with all of those accolades. So I feel like it may not get as many nominations, but I feel like it may win a couple more even. I agree. I think it would do about the same. I feel like the Academy still has an appetite for this type of movie, but I do think it would probably end up being a Netflix movie and probably perform about the same and maybe get like 12 <laughs> nominations and one or two wins. <laughs> and kind of a twist on this next question, I'm going to throw in our oh. question from our They Won For That series. Oh. If you could give this movie one Oscar, would it have been for... It's one win for Nicole Kidman. It would not be for Nicole Kidman. I think it's a good win, but she would not be my winner. What about you? I would do the same. Yeah. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? (laughs) I think score is my close second, but I'm going to go with adapted screenplay. I haven't read the novel. I haven't read Mrs. Dalloway. Maybe I will one day, (laughs) but I did really like how I felt like this was adapted And I think the script is not only great alone, like in its own individual stories, but the way it brings everything together can be really hard to do. So I think David and Steven did a really good job in adapting Michael's work. What about you? What would you give it? So I think that's probably the right answer. And that's my close second. But I would give Philip Glass best score. I love this score so much. And I really think it should have an Oscar. Yeah, it's my favorite score from the year and one of the scores, one of the film scores I return to most often if I need to put on a score in the background. So I would say that. Okay, so that was our discussion on The Hours, our celebration of its 20th anniversary. You can watch the film on HBO Max. It's there. Um, You can also rent it, of course. It doesn't have a Blu-ray release, which is sort of tragic. It needs one. Um, Mm -hmm. So would really love for a physical media release to occur. Um, But in the meantime, HBO Max, if you would like to watch it. And we'll be covering this year again, talking about Best Picture nominees later in the year with Connor and Dylan McDowell again on Chicago. So I can't wait for that episode. That will be a hoot and a half. (laughs) I can't wait to hear about Pamela Anderson's performance. Yes. We will cover that. We'll cover the time that I saw Nene Leakes in it from Real Housewives of Atlanta. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) 
And of course, all of its Oscar wins and nominations. But that is down the road. Next time on Oscar Wilde's, we'll be talking about Jordan Peele's new film, Nope. I cannot wait to see this. It's happening so soon. By the time you guys hear this episode, we'll have already seen the movie, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. So I can't wait. We'll also talk about Get Out and all of its success at the Oscars and us, too. Yeah, a little retro of Jordan Peele. I'm excited for this. I love the little renaissance that he's had so far with his two films. Mm -hmm. Nope. Already in like its teasers and trailers. And there was a Twitter video that went viral and it was like a hole in the sky. I, I haven't watched that. Or something. I can't. I, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I need to be surprised. <laughs> no, no, no. This was like IRL. Like somebody took a video of the sky and they were like, oh my God, Jordan Peele, your marketing no. techniques are no, no, wild no. for your movie. No, no, no. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to see that actually. I'm, I'm so good. And he's like, no, this wasn't me. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm excited to talk about all of his movies and I cannot wait. This is probably my most anticipated of at least the summer. Yeah. If not like top five of the year. And if you like our show, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod. Thanks, everyone. We will see you next week. Bye.